Good morning. Good morning. My name's Chris Sansbury. Anyway, I'm uh, a father of six kids. Uh, I've got a uh, grandson named William Thomas, and on the other end, I've got a nine-year-old. So, and uh, we've been members of St. Mary's Parish here for nine years. And uh, uh, I hang out with a lot of you guys in the choir. And uh, just to prove that the Lord still has a sense of humor, at 51 years old, I'm in charge of the youth group. <laughs> and um, I just want to, John um, is so gracious to me to allow me to come up and just tell you a little bit about what's going on in the youth group every year. And then I'd like to share with you um, some of one of our recent studies uh, that we've done on Sunday night. We meet on Sunday night in the undercroft of the church from 6 to 8. Our usual attendance on Sunday night is between 40 and 50. It's predominantly public school kids, homeschool kids, and a smattering of St. Joe's kids. And uh, uh, we usually were, you know, playing volleyball or soccer or some sort of group game for uh, 30 minutes. Then we had dinner downstairs. We had dinner every week. Uh, the kids, you know, share, bring in course, side and dessert. And then, uh, and then we have our study, something from the scripture with the catechism mix. And, uh, and then we also have praise and worship. Uh, it's the only time during the week where we actually have guitars at St. Mary's. <laughs> but they're in the basement. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great group of kids. I, I, uh, we took 31 to the diocesan youth conference a month ago. And I was amazed because not once did I have to correct any of the kids all weekend. And uh, just such, such a nice group of kids. Um, if you have any influence at all on your children or grandchildren um, and can encourage them to go, not men, but encourage, please do. Um, the statistics are pretty amazing of kids who are regularly involved in a parish youth program. Their percentages are like three to one of their ability to stay chaste, to stay off drugs, to not smoke, and to regularly attend confession. And, um, you know, I think that's what a youth program should always be about, is constantly pointing to the sacraments. And so that's what we do on Sunday night. Um, we had a big event coming up in three weeks. We have our... Uh, our open house, which we'll have on Saturday, May 7th from 6 to 9. And it's a, uh, we send out a mailer. This is amazing. Okay, I'm really happy that I have 40 to 50 kids that come on Sunday night. The parish population kids graduating 8th grade through high school is 500 kids. 500 high school kids, and we're only getting 10%. Man, that's, you know, 
Let's say, token, look at the percentage of men our age that are in our parish, and what percentage do we get here? You know, and I mean, we're the remnant. And, you know, that's uh, that's the way it is. And whether it's, you know, the Knights of, the, of Columbus or or this group or you know, the Women of Faith group or what have you, you know, I, I, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't like to know the person I would be without my involvement in parish life, you know. And that's the same for our kids, too. So, so I would, you know, if you if you ever have any influence, and can encourage them to participate or come check us out at least. Please do. We try to we try to have a major event about every quarter, simply because we're not about entertainment. But a lot of times, a youth doesn't want to go Sunday night, but they'll hear something special going on, like we have a few times a year we have this program called Saturday Night Alive in Christ and we'll get a hundred kids here doing athletic games we'll have a special speaker the Knights of Columbus provide dinner and then if we get them engaged in one event then maybe they'll show up the following Sunday so, um, you know it's, it's all about you know, just trying to corral Crawl the kids in and see if we can't get them engaged in parish life and make them more available to the parish sacraments. So, this past Lent, which has been a good one for me, we uh, we've entered into studying for three weeks the temptations of Christ, taking each week first temptation, second temptation, third temptation. And if you haven't read it, you know, the the Pope's book, Jesus and Nazareth. Man, what a gem. The the teaching that we did with the kids, none of it was original thoughts. It all came from here. So I'd like to I'd like to kind of jump into that for a few minutes um, with you and leave you, you know, with something spiritual, maybe something that you can consider going into Holy Week. Okay. The biggest uh, discussion of the temptations of Christ can be found in Matthew 4. Mark mentions two lines, that's it, of the 40 days in the desert. But Matthew has 11 verses there in chapter 4. That Jesus was led up to this uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If... If you are the Son of God. So he started his temptation with the back of his hand by insulting our Lord. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If Again, an insult. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. 
And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The devil takes the Lord in a vision onto a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and offers him kingship over the world. Isn't that kind of backward? Satan, Satan offering the Lord kingship? Isn't that precisely the message of the Messiah? Isn't he supposed to be king of the world? He unifies the whole earth in one great kingdom of peace and well-being. What is the difference between the Lord's kingship and Satan's kingship? Well, Satan's kingship is limited in time, in space, and is always in submission to what the Lord God Almighty allows. Think of Job. The Lord does have power in heaven and on earth and is without limits. And only someone who has this fullness of authority has the real saving power. Without heaven, earthly power is always ambiguous and fragile. Only when power submits to the measure and judgment of heaven, of God in other words, can it become power for good. And only when power stands under God's blessing can it be trusted. How does Jesus have this power? Well, this is where the second element comes in. Jesus has the power and virtue of his resurrection. This means that it presupposes the cross and his death. It presupposes that other mountain, Golgotha, where he hangs on the cross and dies, moved by men and forsaken by his disciples. How is Christ's kingdom different from Earth's kingdom? Earth's kingdoms. The kingdom of Christ is different from the kingdom of the earth and their splendor, which Satan parades before him. The splendor is an illusory appearance, and it always disintegrates what moth and rust will destroy. This is not the sort of splendor that belongs to the Christ, the kingdom of Christ. His kingdom grows through the humility of the proclamation, and those who agree to become his disciples, that's you and us, who are baptized in the name of the triune God, and who keep his commandments. How does this kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, differ from earthly kingdoms? Well, the kingdom of Christ is one of humility, and it is without political power. What were the expectations of, the, of some of the disciples regarding the power of Christ? Can you recall a story of scripture about the disciples that is an example of them just not getting it? I've got one. And that's from um, Luke. And this to me is just one of the most uh, laughable ones. I don't really think about it. And it's in Luke 9 at 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to bid fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
But he returned and he rebuked them and then went on. They were still thinking the wrong way. Jesus' power and what he was going to be able to do for us. The struggle for the freedom of the church, the struggle to avoid identifying Jesus' kingdom with any political structure is one that has to be fought again and again. Pope Benedict says that the fusion of faith and of political power always comes at a price. Faith becomes the servant of power and must bend to its criteria. So let's look at one other example between the earthly kingdoms and the kingdom of Christ. And this one we'll actually read this week during Holy Week. And that's from Mark 15, 1 through 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council held a consultation. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to me? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate wondered. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he was wont to do for them. And he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released from them Barabbas, and having turned Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So what I, I never realized, really, until this year, and reading it and studying about uh, the third temptation, is that he was an insurrectionist, Barabbas was. Okay, So he was a resistance fighter. All right, and so in, when you think about that, Mark also names the Barabbas as an insurrectionist. That is a man who was trying to change the order of the political establishment. And you know, in our heads, anybody who saw the Passion of the Christ, <laughs> I mean, Bill Gibson did such a great job in portraying him, but Barabbas really is a parade portrayed as a political insurrectionist, he's really portrayed as, you know, a very ugly, almost like a drunken buffoon. But um, John even said it calls him a, a, a robber, but in those days the term robber had to do with somebody who was trying to steal power politically. Okay? So he was a rabble-rouser. He was somebody who was trying to change the political order out of mind, out of internal fighting. Barabbas had taken part in an uprising, and Luke says that he had been accused of murder. When Matthew remarks that Barabbas was a notorious prison, a prisoner, this is evidence that he was one of the prominent resistance fighters. 
In fact, some speculate the leader of a particular uprising. In other words, Barabbas was a messianic figure. The choice of Jesus versus Barabbas is not accidental. Two Messiah figures, two forms of messianic belief stand in opposition. This becomes even clearer when we consider that the name of Barabbas means son of the father. Origin of father of the church provides us with another interesting detail. Up until the third century, many manuscripts of the Gospels refer to the man in question here as Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, son of the father. Barabbas figures here as a sort of alter ego of Jesus who makes the same claim but understands it in completely a different way. So the choices between a Messiah who leads an armed struggle, promises freedom from Roman uh, suppressors, and the mysterious Jesus who proclaims that losing one's life is the way to life. Is it any wonder that the crowds prefer Barabbas? If we had to choose today, who would we choose? Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of the Father? Would he have any chance? Do we really know Jesus at all? Do we understand him? Do we not perhaps have to make an effort today and always to get to know him all over again? The tempter is not so crude as to suggest to us directly that we should worship the devil. He merely suggests that we opt out for a more reasonable decision, that we choose to give priority to a planned and thoroughly organized world. Where, where God may have his place as a private concern, but must not interfere with our essential purposes. Who would we choose? Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? So let's pray. Lord, we want to enter Holy Week with you. We want to walk with you. We want to walk along the same path that you will choose. Help us, Heavenly Father, this week to walk with you. Help us to bring our family and our friends and our loved ones to walk with you. Lord, help us in our own struggle to take up the cross and follow after you. This work of perfecting our lives is hard work and we cannot do it without you and the grace of your sacraments. Heavenly Father, May you get all that you want from us and our lives this week of Holy Week. So we ask your blessing upon us, Lord. Help us to be with you. Help us to become more like you. And help us bring many to you. Amen.